And Jesus paid it all. What a wonderful statement of truth. Um, Let's bow together. Father, we do just thank you that your son Jesus paid the full price for our sins. That uh, he lived the perfect life. He went to the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. And he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And that the full price for redemption has been paid through his blood. Father, I thank you that we who have come to faith in your son have forgiveness of sins. And Father, I pray as we continue our time before you worshiping you, that you would use this time in your word to help us understand what you intended from this passage we'll see today. And that we would become more and more like Christ and that we would shine forth his righteousness by your power and strength. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you think about who you are, what do you think of? Um, initially, I'm Greg, and you, we're each people, right? And we have characteristics, physically speaking. Uh, we may have uh, careers that identify what we do or whatever it might be. And then when it comes to our walk in Jesus Christ, when we think about who we are, uh, we are children of God. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're the redeemed. We're those who have been forgiven. Uh, we're his children. And then when you think about uh, who we are and then what we are, uh, from scripture we have some interesting statements about what we are. Today we're going to see that in the context of who we are in Christ, God declares what we are in light of those who don't know Christ. And we're going to see how we, the blessed, should behave in the midst of an ungodly world. If you've uh, noticed around us, those who don't know Christ are sinners like we were. And there's a lot of sin. And uh, yet we now, having been redeemed, don't fit And so what are we to, how are we to behave in the midst of this? Would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16. And in this portion, we're going to be reminded as we continue our break from having finished Philippians, uh, Lord willing, we will start in two weeks, a new new series. So uh, as we look at this, I want to remind you of the context of the book of Matthew, just directly to this portion. Uh, The portion of scripture we're going to look at today is in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is really the teaching on the Mount. And it encompasses chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew. And in these chapters, I believe the Lord Jesus reveals kingdom righteousness presented by the King Jesus, which confronts phony righteousness, which is really lawlessness. That's what this portion's about and within the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Sermon on the Mount begins with what we call the Beatitudes, those blessed statements that we're probably very familiar with. And they reveal, if we would have studied this earlier, they reveal that the blessed statements are concerning those, or the lifestyle, literally, of those who are blessed. Those who are blessed. Those who have truly come to faith in Christ and have been delivered into his kingdom. 
And yet the Lord graciously came upon the Jews who were sitting in darkness and they saw a great light and yet they rejected him as we, as we saw in uh, John or heard read in John chapter 3. They rejected the Lord, but he came upon them and he was gracious to expose their phony righteousness that they would see their sin and trust in him. And that's really what this portion between chapters 5 and 7 is about. The Lord Jesus exposing the phony relationship the Jews had with Christ or with, with the Lord, which they didn't have, that they might have a real relationship with the Lord. And God is so gracious because he does not want us to think we're going to heaven, that we're following him when we're not. But yet for those of us who are believers, we're going to see today that after this Beatitudes, these blessed are, those statements which reveal someone who is truly saved, he's going to go ahead and make direct implications to us about who we are. So turn in your Bibles, again, to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16. But I want to back up because verse 13 goes right with uh, what we see here. And you might remember about a year ago we looked at verse 13, but we haven't seen these verses for a long time. So let's start reading at uh, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Then our passage. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure. But on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Tremendous passage. And we have two declarations here concerning what true believers are, what they are. And we're going to see this helps us understand how we are to function in the midst of an ungodly world. Now, before we look at our passage, I just want to review verse 13, which is a parallel reality to what we're going to see in the truth revealed in verses 14 to 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So the question is now, who is the Lord Jesus speaking to here? The Lord Jesus has been saying earlier in the Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are they. Blessed are those who are characterized by, by, by the, the manifestation of a real relationship with the living God. And then he begins to say in verse 11, blessed are you, blessed are you. He changes the direction to first of all general statements about those who are truly blessed, who, who have a real relationship with the Lord, which exposes those who don't. And then directly, blessed are you. And he turns his teaching towards, I believe, the disciples at this point. (coughs) And he's talking to those who are children of God, who are in the kingdom. They are saved. And he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are. And you might remember that in the ancient Near East, during this time, salt was a very valuable commodity. We have it all over the place. We're very blessed, right? But it was a very valuable commodity. It was used to help preserve meat. It was to keep, to keep it from spoiling. It was also used to flavor food. 
Now, I believe the analogy the Lord Jesus is making here between believers and salt is, is not one of preservative, as some people would say. The context lends it to being flavor, to being flavor. Because notice the statement, but if the salt has become tasteless or has lost its flavor, it's about flavor. And that's important to realize. It's not about preservative. Yes, salt does preserve. But in this analogy, it's about flavor. And so we have the statement, you are the salt of the earth. And then in our passage, you are the light of the world. Now, indeed, uh, those apart from Christ, bound in sin like all of us before Christ, live in the context of unrighteousness. And within that self, we have no understanding of the righteousness of Christ within ourselves. We know that uh, in Romans chapter 3, it's clear that there are none righteous, not even one. And yet, uh, we in these passages recognize and will see that when we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are the flavor of the world and we are the light of the world. And I believe that will point to the reality of the fact that it is the righteousness of Christ manifest in us, which flavors a dead and dying world. It is the righteousness of Christ manifest in us, which is the light to a dark world. So then we have the first statement, you are uh, the light, or you are the salt of the earth. And we saw this, that, uh, that the fruit of light comes in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, Ephesians 5.9. We're going to see later on in our passage that if you uh, let your light shine, as we'll see, uh, they will glorify God. They'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, the reality is we're going to see that it is the righteousness of Christ manifest in us in our behavior, which is changed because of him, that is a light to the world, and it is flavor to a dark and dying world. And so he says, you are the salt, first of all, of the world. And then he says, notice our salt of the earth. And he says, but if the salt has become tasteless, no more flavor, it's not flavoring anymore, the implication as we saw when we looked at this passage, there's no more manifestation of Christ in your life, his righteousness, in a sense. He says, if, it is, uh, if it's become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Serious statement. If we act inconsistently with our true identity in this world, trusting the Lord, then we are really good for nothing in the place where God has placed us. If you're a believer and you are not trusting Christ and allowing his righteousness to change your thinking and your attitude and what you do, then you're really, at that time, good for nothing. You're not accomplishing the purpose of why God is leaving you in this world and not taking you away. At least one of those purposes. And so we have true believers are the salt of the earth. And then that leads us to our passage, which is parallel, in which we see that we are... The light of the world. And so how do we behave in the midst of an ungodly world? First of all, we need to understand that we are the light of the world. That our behavior in Christ is the means in which a sin-corrupt world will see his righteousness. Again, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure but on a lampstand, and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now it's crucial, as with the portion before, that we recognize that this is speaking of believers. He's already said, blessed are, blessed are, you know, those that are characterized by a genuine relationship with Christ. And then he says, I believe to his disciples, you are, and he says to you, you are the light of the world. And then he will say, you know, let your light shine that they may observe your good works before your Father who is in heaven. There's a relationship with the living God. These are believers. And even earlier, it talks about those who have been persecuted for the righteous for righteousness sake. They will have a reward in heaven. They're believers. So this is to those who have been convicted of their sin, trusted in Jesus Christ, the God who took on human flesh and died for your sin, humbled themselves by realizing they need a Savior, crying out to Him to save me, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me, and trusting in Him for salvation. And when that happens, we become His children, and that is who He is speaking to here. You are the light of the world. And so again, it's a simple statement, an analogy, just like you are the salt of the earth. So what does this analogy mean when he says you are the light of the world? Well, the metaphor of light in Scripture is used quite often, quite often. And certainly we see these metaphors concerning darkness and light all throughout Scripture. And within Scripture we see light portraying righteousness, darkness portraying or representing sin and evil. And as we see in Scripture, God himself is portrayed as light, and those who are truly his are portrayed as sons of light or children of light. Indeed, we have the affirmation of God as light in 1 John chapter 1. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. It's right near Revelation, getting close to Revelation. First John chapter 1, verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. Here's the message. That God is light. And that in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we, do, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Obviously, the context is righteousness versus sinfulness. God is fully righteous. God is, is light. There is no darkness in him at all. And then we as believers can walk in the light. We can walk in the context of his righteousness, his holiness, which comes from him. You shall be holy, for I am holy, the Lord God says. And he is the one that enables Wicked men and women, first of all, to be saved through Jesus Christ, but then redeemed sinners to then have our minds changed and think differently and thus act differently to manifest the righteousness of Christ. Now, light, again, is, is associated in Scripture with the attributes of God, such as goodness and righteousness and truth. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Actually, don't just hold your finger there. I'll just read the portion for you. For the fruit of the light, 5.9, consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
goodness, righteousness, and truth, the fruit of the light. And God's word we see throughout scripture is metaphorically described as light, that which illumines our minds and protects us from walking in darkness, uh, that is sinning. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Again, in 1 John, actually, uh, we see specifically that Jesus Christ is, is uh, portrayed as light. Look at, uh, excuse me, not 1 John, but John 1, 1. John 1, 1. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, and all things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ fully manifests the character of God when he came to earth. And we see in Matthew chapter 4, uh, and I'll read this for you. Verse uh, 16. The people who were sitting in darkness, that's sin, saw a great light, that's speaking of Jesus, and those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came in the midst of sinful man and his righteousness was manifest and within that the message repent and uh, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand we see that jesus christ himself declared himself to be the light of the world john 8 12 and again jesus spoke to them saying i am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in the darkness but shall have the light of life John chapter 9, verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world while he's in the world. Manifesting God's righteousness. Think about that. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And in our passage, you are the light of the world. The body of Christ in this world manifesting the righteousness and character of God. What about... uh, Later on in, in John, well, it's actually ch- ch- first chapter 1 of John. Let's turn back there again, John 1. We're going to see that the light shined into darkness, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. When Jesus came to the Jews who were in their sin, they didn't understand, they didn't comprehend it because they were hardened in their sin. They loved sin, as we saw. John chapter 1, verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, and whose name was John, and he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. What did John do? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they said here, they said that there was a true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Speaking of Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. And then go up a little bit farther to John 3.16, which we had read earlier for us.
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who hates the light and does not come to the light does not come to the light, lest his deed should be exposed. But he who practices the truth, that's doing the truth, God's word manifests in your behavior, God's truth. He says here, he who practices the truth comes, comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest, having been wrought or, or brought forth, wrought in God. You see, the reality is, it is through faith in Christ that one is delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And you need to, while you have the manifestation of the light, turn to him. Jesus said this about himself when he was on the earth. And he admonished people to turn while they had the light in their midst. Turn to John 12, a lot about light and Christ in the book of John. John 12:34 The multitude therefore answered and said answered him we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever and how is it you say the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man Jesus therefore said to them for a little while longer the light is among you Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of light. Believe in Jesus Christ, God's righteousness manifest in human flesh. Believe in him while you have the chance. Later on, look at verse 44 in John 12. And Jesus cried out and said, the implication is he's crying out loudly. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but he who sent me. And he who believes in me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. We're going to see the connection of us being the body of Christ, also being the light in the world. It has to do with the behavior that is manifest his righteousness, that people would be convicted and turn and trust in Christ. Tremendous, wonderful realities. So back in our passage, he says to those believers, you are the light of the world. When we are saved, delivered from darkness, from our sinfulness, we are delivered from domain, Satan's domain into the kingdom of his beloved son. Turn to Acts chapter 26, verse 12. Here the Apostle Paul recounts his testimony as the Lord explains how he is going to use Paul. You see, the Lord wants you, if you're not a believer, to recognize you're in darkness, that you're in sin, 
and you need to be delivered. Acts chapter 26, verse 12, Paul says, While thus engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, that's Agrippa, he says, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And notice this to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul was sent with the gospel that they would see their dark, they're in darkness and turn from that darkness to Christ, turn to light, that they would receive forgiveness of sins. And folks, when we do that, we have been delivered. Colossians 1.13, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness. We're delivered from the domain of sin and evil and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you're a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's all throughout scripture. Marvelous light. And oh, praise the Lord, brother and sister, God has opened our eyes to see our sinful condition through the gospel, which reveals the Savior, Jesus Christ that we through Christ, having been delivered out of darkness and Satan's domain, received the forgiveness of sins, delivered into the kingdom of his beloved Son, from darkness into light. And having been delivered from darkness to light, Scripture now identifies us with light. Indeed, Paul uses this metaphor now to warn the Corinthians that they were mixing up with things that weren't good spiritually. Turn to Second Corinthians He uses this metaphor to warn them about false teachers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, like Satan who disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians of 6. It's not of 6, 6. (laughs) The context is the bad guys, that's the unbelievers. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, get that, and and he says here, or what fellowship has light with darkness. Don't fellowship with them. Don't be bound with those who are in the context of sin and evil. What partnership do we have? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? It's another word for Satan. Or what is a believer in common with an unbeliever? Don't be bound because you're light and that's darkness. And we're going to see how we are thus to function among them. We've been saved and we are no longer to be walking in according to darkness, but walking in the light. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. A lot of passages. And if you're, if I'm reading too fast, just note the verse down and come back to it later. 
Ephesians chapter 5. Now here, the exhortation is, don't walk in darkness, basically, because you should be walking in the light, because you're saved. Don't walk the way you used to walk. Don't walk in sin. Don't do that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, but do not let immorality or impurity or greed or anything be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For you know, verse 5, with certainty that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I always think of the dead denominations when I read that, by the way. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk in accordance with who you really are. That old saying, be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, you is who you ain't, right? Walk in accordance with who you are. And a few other passages, indeed, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see that the exhortation is to not walk in darkness because we've been spared from God's wrath. Don't walk from what you've been spared from. Walk in that way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Actually, let's turn it. 1 Thessalonians 5. All the T's, you'll find it in the T's. So throughout Scripture, as you're turning there, is the exhortation based on who you really are to walk that way. To walk that way. And we need to be reminded who we are, right? Reminded what we've been delivered from. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now in contrast to those who are on their way to judgment, that day is going to come upon them, it's going to come upon them like a thief. He says here, but you, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light, sons of day. We are not of night or of darkness. So, right, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Get your mind straight. Get your thinking straight. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And one last passage about this. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. A lot of good passages. Romans 13, verse 11. He says, and do this knowing that the time, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night, the the day of sin and darkness, right? The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Notice those metaphors. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And here he explains, 
Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing or drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or sensuality or strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. So then in Scripture we have the metaphor of light. It is the characteristic of the living God. He is light, no darkness in Him. He is completely righteous and holy. There's no sin or evil. And yet we see mankind is in darkness, but Jesus delivers us from the domain of darkness if we trust in Him. And then, having been delivered and now light in the Lord, we are motivated by God's Word to walk in the context of what we have been delivered from. Don't walk in that way anymore. Walk as children of light. So back to our passage. Full circle. Come back to our passage. You are the light of the world. So when Jesus says you are the light of the world, he is saying you are the manifestation of him, the true light in a dark world. You are the manifestation of Christ in a dark world. That's what you are. That's what you are. We're the manifestation of that. And let's not forget, when God's life is manifest in us, so too will the word of God, First Peter chapter 2, that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who has delivered us out of darkness into his marvelous light. One pastor writes, If an unbeliever comes in contact with you, he ought to see in your life the reflection of the character of God. He ought to hear from your lips the truth concerning God. God saved you in order to proclaim his excellencies. What a tragedy that some unbelievers have repeated contact with Christians, yet they never hear from them the marvelous excellencies of the one who called them out of darkness into light. We are to be claiming the truth of salvation. We are the light of the world. And so with that in mind, what does he mean now with this term world? I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but let's look into it. He says, you are the light of the world. Obviously, the world in context is that which is in darkness. It is, it is juxtaposed to believers who are in the light. In the light. It's speaking of unbelieving mankind. Unbelieving mankind. Those apart from Christ, like we all were, walk in darkness, in our sins. There's no righteousness in them, no matter how righteous the deeds might look. There's no light. And the term world consistently is used in Scripture to describe those who do not know Christ, who set their life standard by their desires rather than God's will. And so then we have the world which consists of the unregenerate, the unredeemed, those who are not born again, those who are not saved, those who function based on their own wisdom, lusts and desires, not by the will of God as revealed revealed in the word of God. And so then, we are the light of the world. So then, in the midst of a sin-sick, dark world, we're the light. We're the light. We are the only visible manifestation of Christ, who is the light. And so then, he says, you are the light of the world. You are the world's, literally world's, light. You're the world's light. So first of all, we need to recognize we are the light of the world. That's the first step in understanding how we're to behave in the midst of non-believers. We are the light of the world. We are. He doesn't say you're becoming that. You will be that. He says you are. And we'll see by the illustration that a light isn't hidden, that we shouldn't be hidden. The light is there. If you're a true believer, you are going to manifest the character of Christ. It's going to come. And so he says you are the light of the world. 
But secondly, we need to recognize the position that he has placed us. Not only who we are, but the position. Notice our passage again. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Notice what he says now. Illustration. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure. We'll talk about that in a minute. But on the lampstand, and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Extremely simple illustration, which I believe will drive home two important truths about the light of the world. One that illustrates our position, and one that illustrates our purpose. Our position and purpose. So then, Jesus, first of all, is pointing out our position. Where God has placed us in a position that cannot be concealed. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Very simple illustration. In Jesus' day, uh, many cities were on hills. And if you're walking towards a city at night, the lights of the city would be easily seen. And actually, because of the position of the hill, you can't miss it. You couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss it. You are the light of the world. And he says, a city on a hill cannot be in. It's, it's up. It's elevated. The position is seen. By its nature, it is seen. It is seen. The point here, I believe he's speaking of the location in this analogy. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has saved us now by virtue of our location in the midst of a sin-sick world. In a sin-sick world, we are like that city on a hill that you can't miss. You can't miss a true believer in the midst of a sinful world. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. You are the light of the world in the midst of a sin-sick world, which cannot be hidden. Now, some of you might be saying, well, what about the so-called undercover Christians? All right? Well, the ones that no one knows are Christians, right? Well, maybe they're not Christians or they're in sin because Jesus says, you are. You are the light of the world. He doesn't say you're becoming it. He says... You are. And he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, we're definitely going to see that the way we walk in Christ or don't walk in him will, will manifest whether he shines through us or not. We are the light, but that light can be covered in a sense by our sinfulness. Okay? And if you take the analogy from the salt, then it's good for nothing. Right? If God has placed you here to manifest his righteousness and his righteousness is not coming through you, you're good for nothing concerning why he's placed you here. Right? We need to recognize that. So it has to do with location. It's, he's placed us in a place that cannot be concealed. We, the world is everywhere around us. There is sin and sinners and sinfulness and evil everywhere. Can't be concealed. So then we need to be careful that our desires are not to be like the world. And also we're not to retract from them. We're not to hide from them. We're in the midst of the world. We are in the midst. We don't go hide in a monastery to be pure or whatever it might be. We are in the midst of the world. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul makes this point. This point about non-believers and where we should be in relationship to them. Now we're going to see we're not to... To, us, to have uh, these close, yoked relationships with non-believers. Yes, we're to be among them and around them, but we're not to be yoked to them. We're not the companion of fools will suffer harm, right? 
Uh, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It speaks of our placement, not our, not an emotional association or relationships, right? We should have many, many non-believing acquaintances. We're in the world, right? But not close, uh, heart-to-heart relationships. Those just, unfortunately, they get divided when Christ saves you. And we want them to be saved also, right? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. He said, don't associate with them. I did not mean at all the immoral people of the world, says, or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. They misunderstood him. He said, don't associate with immoral people. Associate, not yoke, by the way. Associate. He said, I didn't mean that or, you, that it was, you'd, have, or you'd have to leave. What he really meant was don't associate with immoral believers or people who claim to be believers. Look at what he says. But actually, I wrote to you not associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral or covetous or idolater or viler or drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Don't be hanging out with believers in sin. You want now there's ways in God's word to address sin that they might turn back to their the good shepherd. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? That's non-believers. Do you not judge those within the church? The answer is yes. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. We're not to go out from the midst of the world. We're in the world. We're in the world. Um, we are the light of the world. Now, it's not saying, and like it's perverted by people, say, I need to go sin to know and understand them. No, that's, that's perversion. That's wrong. It's God's manifest, righteousness manifest. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I read part of this already. We are to be separate from them in terms of conduct and behavior. We're to be separate. Doesn't mean we don't associate. Doesn't mean we don't go into the world. We don't go inside of the midst of, of, of those who are not saved, right? 2 Corinthians 6, 14. We read this earlier. Do not be bound together, yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and loss? What fellowship have light and darkness? We know that already. For what harmony is Christ with Belial, the word for Satan? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 here, now 7-1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're in the world, but not of it. That's not a Bible verse. People think that's a Bible verse, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a summary of truth from the Bible. We're in the world, but not of it. So then, we need to recognize that we are the light of the world. Now, we, don't need to, we need to be careful we don't take this the wrong way. Sometimes I hear of Christians who say, I'm not going to buy stuff here because this company is evil and does this and this and this. And, and, I'm, and yet Paul said we're still to associate with the immoral people. Not yoke, but associate. Now, for conscience sake, I understand that. If your conscience is saying not to do that, I understand that. But it's not that we, have, we disappear from the world. We go in the midst of a dark world every day, in the midst of a dark world every day. If you are shining... You cannot be hidden. You cannot be hidden. So with that in mind, notice an illustration that reveals our purpose. We have our placement. We're in the world, right? And now the purpose. Back to our passage. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light up light a lamp, here's the illustration, and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, I've always wondered, I remember reading this as a kid, and I think, what is a peck measure? Does anybody know what a peck measure is? Basically, it's a, it's a bowl of about two-gallon size. It's a big bowl that, you know, if you had a lamp, you could put it under a peck measure, and it would be totally hidden, okay? And so then he's saying, the point is, lamps are not lit to be hidden, they're lit to shine. God didn't uh, make us the light of the world through faith in Christ that we would be hidden. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Lights uh, do not get lit so that they are they're hidden. Simple purpose. Their design is to shine light. And so then we have our purpose. We are designed to shine forth the light of Christ in the midst of a dark world. That is our purpose. Now, that's not all of our purposes, but that is one of our purposes here in this world. And so then, if the word of God is not changing your heart and then being manifest in your deeds as you trust Jesus, you're not reflecting his character and you're not fulfilling your purpose, whether it's at work, whether it's with your kids, whether it's at home, whatever it might be. You see, and also part of that is we still sin, don't we? And yet, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we walk in the light again. We allow the word of God to control our thinking towards how we react to this situation, how we react to that situation, how we react to this person, how we react to that person. God's word is controlling my heart, convicting me when I fail, confessing and controlling my heart. We are the light of the world. And notice then, because he has placed us in the world and we have the purpose that we would shine, he says, therefore, we're to shine before men. Therefore, we're actually to do so. The implication is don't let it be hidden, but let it shine. You are the light. And so back to our passage, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the room, in the house. Everyone sees it. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There's the command. Let it shine. We have a little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Well, then obey your parents, right? <laughs> let it shine, you know? Okay, so here we have it. Let it shine. Don't inhibit it. Don't attempt to hide it. Don't inhibit it by sinning and not shining. Don't inhibit the light of Christ by walking in sin. Confess your sin. Be forgiven. Don't inhibit it. When you have a bad attitude, confess it. Be forgiven. Remember we saw the fruit of the light? All righteousness, goodness, truth, those things. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's not uh, lust or conflict, right? That's the opposite, right? And so then we are to let it shine. Now, usually I like the NASB. That's my favorite translation. But I don't think the NASB does a very good job in translating this verse. And I'll tell you why. It says, in such a way. That kind of makes it sound like I can choose how my light is to shine. That's really not a good translation. The word from the Greek, hutos, means really in this manner or in this way, not in such a way, or thus or so. So then it's pointing back to, let your light shine in the manner of having not the peck measure over the top of it. Let it shine in that manner. Don't let it be hidden. You could kind of say it this way. Um, In this way, not hidden, 
open to all, so then let your light shine. Kind of that way. Not choosing how it shines, but in this manner of not letting it be hidden. Manifest. Manifest. In the same way as the illustration we just read, let it shine. Open unhindered. Don't hide it. Don't let it be covered. And the only way it hides and is covered is when we're walking in sin. Confess your sin and walk in the light. Walk in the light. Let your light shine before men, unhindered according to God's original purpose. Let it shine before men, unhindered. And notice we have another purpose or result, basically. That they, that's not you all, but they, that's another group, that's going to be the world in context, and non-believers, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Here's the purpose or the result or the reason for our light to shine unhindered, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. First of all, the purpose is twofold, or the result is twofold, that they may see your good works. Now, in Greek, there are two words that are commonly translated good. In, in our English Bible, you'll just see the word good. I wish they could put a little note there or something about it. One just speaks of intrinsic good, morally good. The other one speaks of intrinsic moral good, but has an outward beauty to it. It's seen. That's what this word is. That your good works, you're beautiful. They're beautiful works because they're, they're morally right. When someone treats you wrongly and you trust the Lord and you don't snap back and you trust the Lord, that's beautiful. When people act a certain way and you recognize, I was once that way, Titus chapter 3, and they need Christ, right? That's good, it's beautiful. When we don't uh, argue and complain because God's word says do all things without complaining and grumbling, that's beautiful, it's shining, it's shining. When we trust the Lord with all our heart and don't lean on our understanding, that's beautiful, it's good, it's good. You see, we've been created for good works, and there's no one good but God, Jesus said, but yet when we trust a good God and we have a relationship with him, his goodness is manifest in us. Ephesians chapter 2.10, for we are his workmanship, but the word literally means poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All the circumstances of the trouble, believe me, this last week, we had a lot of trouble, we did personally, but he created those to walk in those things because he's prepared good works to come out of them. Throughout your week, that's what he's doing giving opportunities for his character to be manifest in you. And when it doesn't, just think you've got a big bowl over your head. Illustration, just confess your sin. Confess your sin. And let it shine. Let it shine. Let me give you... And also, we know that the Word of God equips us for those good works. Let me just read that for you. 2 Timothy 3.16. God's Word equips my heart to know how to respond and to interact with the sin-corrupt world and all that is around me. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, I'll read it for you. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's word in our hearts equips us. The word equip means of a full furnished, fully furnished rescue boat. Has everything it needs. So God's word takes and equips us for the circumstances that come our way, that take us off guard, that, that, that catch us, or whatever it might be. For every circumstance in life, God equips us for good works. 
the responses that are not of us, but of God. The gracious things pouring off our lips. It's not from us, it's from God. And yet when we sin, that's that big bowl over our heads. We're not shining anymore. Confess and be forgiven. And he says, let your light shine. So, and you can say it this way. So in this way, not hidden, let your light shine, that they may see your good works. And notice the second portion. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let it shine. Let it shine so that God will be glorified by those who don't know him. That's a pretty incredible thought. That God uses the light of his Son through us of righteousness to cause non-believers to at some point glorify God for what they have seen in our lives. That's a pretty amazing statement. You see, man will initially persecute you for the righteousness of Christ, right? A few verses back, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They will persecute you until God convicts them, and eventually maybe they might glorify God for what they saw while they were persecuting you, right? He says here, let it shine. The term glorify here, uh, doxazo, speaks of uh, the word we get our English word doxology from. It speaks of giving high status, praising, honoring, magnifying. It's all about Christ manifest in us, which brings glory to the Father. And rightful praise he deserves. Rightful praise he deserves. You see, when the word of God, by the God of the word, through his spirit, helps us to respond differently, God is glorified. God is glorified because it's supernatural. We don't do that on our own. We will not act that way within ourselves. It doesn't happen. We need to be walking with the Lord. And again, when we fail, confess right away. Be forgiven and keep walking that people would see your light in such a way. He says, that they may see the unbelieving world, seeing the righteousness of Christ manifest in you, shining forth that light that is not, heaven, that is not hidden. Let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works. And then the other purpose, then glorify your Father who is in heaven. You've got a relationship. He's your heavenly Father. And notice here, glorify when is it now, the question would be, when is it that an unbelieving world that, that hates Christ, that uh, has rejected him, would glorify God the Father? When would they do that? When they see his righteousness. But when would they give glory? There's a few possibilities. We see in First Peter when they come to faith. You see, if you're a non-believer and you've been persecuting people for the righteousness of Christ that's manifest, and then you come to faith, you're going to praise God for what you saw. You're going to praise him at that point. But also there will be those who may glorify God in heaven because of your righteous deeds of Christ when they go to judgment. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to share this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. And believe me, I understand more than you know that we fail. But confess, as I've said, and walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Keep short accounts with God. Don't put uh, his light under a big bowl, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior, that's how you act, excellent among the Gentiles. That's a slang term for non-believers. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they're going to slander you. They're going to say what you're doing isn't right, it's wrong. You're, you know, They say you're evil. They say good is evil and evil is good, right? 
that they may on account of what? Your good deeds. As they observe them, they got to be seen. It's not under the bowl. Glorify God in the day of visitation. The day that he visits them. That could be the day of salvation. For when he visits them, they'll praise God for what, when they really see what's truly happened. That God was using his righteousness in those people that they were slandering. Or it could be the day he visits them in judgment. But God's going to get the glory. And so much we want to know about evangelism, evangelism, how to do this and that. Yes, we do need to be ready to share the hope we have, absolutely. But in context with that is keeping your behavior excellent. Shining among those who aren't saved. Not being self-righteous, condescending, but gracious and kind. Should be convicting for all of us. It is for me. So then, that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. So then, it's a pretty simple passage. Pretty simple passage. Let your light shine in the midst of an unbelieving world that God has placed you in that midst for that purpose so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's simple. And that's what the command for us here today is as believers. Now, if you are not a believer, there's no light to shine. There may be a false sense of righteousness. You think you're, you're good, but there's no one good before God. You see, you're still in darkness. And Christ manifests his perfect righteousness and his love for us. And if you'll turn to Jesus Christ, the light of the world, for salvation, he'll save you. But you've got to humble yourself. You've got to be thirsty for salvation. You need to know you need it. I'm a sinner. I have failed. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead and you paid the full penalty. Save me, Lord Jesus. He will save you and you'll be delivered from darkness to light. And then as much as you're willing, he will enable you to walk as a child of light as his word changes your thinking about every person, circumstance, and situation. So then, for us believers, what's the command for us? Let your light shine. Get the bowl off your head, right? Confess sin, let it shine, so that God would be glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful truth and reminder. And Lord, forgive us when we are encumbered by sin, hidden in a sense, not allowing your righteousness to be manifest in us because of sin. Forgive us. I pray for those of us who know you, would we would just obey this truth, that it would be on our hearts as we go in our interactions today, that we would allow your righteousness to be manifest as we trust your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who is not saved, that they will turn to the light, that they will believe in your son Jesus and have their sins forgiven. Thank you, Lord God, for your truth. Thank you for your son. We pray this in his name. Amen.